This is Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Off the top in this hour, a conversation around, well, in part impaired driving, but it's a broader conversation about the rights of accused and how police are supposed to handle certain situations. Now, look, obviously over the weekend here in Calgary, uh, we had a very serious crash. Uh, three women in hospital with serious injuries. A 29-year-old man charged with impaired driving after a head-on crash on the Deerfoot early Sunday morning. So, yeah, it raises the question, what are people thinking? If you're drinking, you don't get behind the wheel. This should be so obvious now. And the fact that things like this still happen is incredibly frustrating. So with stories like that as a backdrop, I, I think people do feel a frustration when it seems as though... Uh, People are getting off on a technicality or that the courts are providing too much leeway to an accused or giving too many rights to an accused. But the fact is that anybody who's accused of a crime has rights. It's up to the state to demonstrate your guilt. And there are no shortcuts in the system. So if police or the crown are violating the rights of an accused, a case is going to fall apart. So I wanted to have that conversation around what the expectations are expectations are when it comes to police and what rights you have as an accused because if that day comes when you've been accused of a crime and you know you haven't done anything wrong you do need to know your rights so a couple of cases uh, out of ontario in recent days one involves an accused drunk driver who was acquitted because police took too long to administer the breathalyzer test after they had a suspicion of drunk driving The judge called it a constitutionally inexcusable delay of about 10 minutes. Another case involves a woman who was accused of drunk driving was acquitted because a police breath technician ordered her to stand on a scale and be weighed. When she asked a legitimate question whether she had to, the officer told her yes. And as it turns out, the answer was not yes. Because she didn't have to. She was under, under, under no obligation to do so. So joining us to, to talk a bit more about some of these issues, pleased to welcome to the program Solomon Friedman, who's a criminal lawyer based in Ottawa with uh, Edelson and Friedman, LLP. Solomon, thank you for joining us here. Welcome to the program. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. All right. Well, as I say, I mean, people are going to look at these cases, I think, and say, oh, well, here we go again. Uh, bad people getting off on technicalities, et cetera. But what, what's the important underlying lesson here? Sure. We have to back up for a moment and remember that we're not really talking about the rights of accused people here. We're talking about the rights of all Canadians. And we enjoy a number of rights that we hold so deeply that we hold them supreme over all other laws, whether it's the criminal code or any other statute. So one of those rights is the right against self-incrimination. And we sort of take that for granted. That, That includes the right to silence, that if you've been accused of something, you don't have to say anything in answer to it. You don't have to provide evidence against yourself. And we all take that for granted. Now, of course, in, in the, the impaired driving area, you know, there are certain exceptions to that. One of those exceptions is that you have to provide a breath sample, okay? Under certain very circumscribed um, uh, circumstances, you need to provide a breath sample, even though that's evidence that you're giving up that can be used against you. And one of the ways we protect everybody's rights is we ensure that that is done in a way that complies with the law. And it's complicated. It, 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 it can be complex, but it keeps the police from uh, forcing people to provide evidence against themselves when they don't actually have the legal authority to do so. For example, you know, in, in Canada, we don't find it acceptable to have random breast checks where you just uh, pull over people and force them to provide a breast sample. That right. is unconstitutional. 
Um, but, you know, we talk about the, the time delay. So people say, what does it matter a couple of minutes that they delayed in providing a breath sample? Well, remember, this is somebody who has not been charged with any crime. They have been stopped by the police. So their liberty has been suspended. And one of the compromises we make in our laws, we say, look, the police can, under certain circumstances, take a breath sample. But they can't hold somebody who hasn't been charged, hasn't been accused of any crime indefinitely. There's a time limit. And if they breach that limit, there are consequences. One of those consequences is the breath samples are excluded from evidence or can be in certain cases. So it's really about striking that balance between public safety and individual liberty. And in this country, we we value individual liberty. And we're going to have difficult cases, I suppose, that test where those boundaries are. Maybe to to people, as you say, 10 minutes doesn't seem like much. Why, Why would that be significant? Well, so the, the time limit's there for two reasons. It's there, number one, uh, to ensure that people's liberty is not suspended indefinitely while the police conduct an investigation, right? Remember, the police at this point don't have evidence against you. They may have some suspicion. They may have uh, some information against you, but they haven't yet collected any breath samples. So it's really during the investigative phase, and we need to ensure that those delays are as short as possible. But there's also a scientific reason for it. Remember that the breath reading that uh, a person uh, provide to an intoxilizer machine doesn't measure their alcohol level at the time they were driving. Usually, you know, it can be an hour or an hour and a half or up to two hours later that they're providing the sample. So it ensures the scientific accuracy. In other words, if that sample is obtained and the, the, the words the criminal code uses are as soon as practicable, then that ensures the scientific accuracy of the machine. The longer you wait, and sometimes it can be a matter of 10 minutes on either side, means that, you know, we're no longer as certain as we were about these results being reflective of an individual's blood alcohol concentration at the time of driving. And then that's really an issue about fundamental fairness. You know, if you're going to be convicted with this evidence, we have to be sure that it's scientifically sound. Let's talk about this case involving a scale, because I'd never even heard of that. I'm not sure why that that would be part of any kind of police investigation, but that a woman was led to believe that she had no choice but to stand on this scale. Uh, I mean, have you heard of this before? Yeah, so I mean, that's a very common practice. In fact, that case uh, was one uh, my former partner, who was just appointed to the uh, Ontario Court of Justice, litigated. Um, So I know quite a bit about, about that case. It's common practice for breath technicians, those are officers who are administering the breath test, to either ask for a person's weight or to ask them to get on a scale. And the reason they do that is, uh, depending on the results that the machine gives, they sometimes have to be interpreted by an expert toxicologist. In other words, they need a scientist to come in and say, this is what you registered at whatever time, given your height and your weight and your gender, this is what you would have had in your body at the time you were driving. But they need weight. Weight is a critical factor to getting there. But the criminal code doesn't authorize them to force you to get on a scale. Like, it authorizes them to force you to provide a breath sample. So this woman had spoken to her lawyer. The advice we commonly give is don't get on the scale. They have no right to make you get on the scale. But the officer tells her, you must stand on that scale. And what do we all do when we're faced with a authority? A police officer tells you what to do. You usually listen. Right. Right. So, you know, it's, it's a case where it may have been her choice, but it wasn't a free choice. Police officer in their uniform directs you to do something. You listen. Right. Yeah. And, and the judge found that that was that was inappropriate, that without parliament saying that people can get on the scale or must get on the scale or without some judicial order, that that amounts to a violation of her right to be free from unreasonable search and seizure. To, to me, the solution is very easy here. If, if this is a power we want to give police 
then Parliament can simply put it in law. They haven't done that, though. Well, yeah, and it reminds me of some of the stories we've heard about where people are, are using their phones to videotape uh, police arresting somebody, and they're told by police to shut off their phones or hand over their phones. Yeah, again, people don't know their rights in, in those situations. And when a police officer is telling you to do something, typically that's what people will do. Yeah, and it's a little more than even not knowing your rights. You know, it's one thing if an individual is ignorant of their rights, but, you know, we want to be really careful in our society about having police officers giving bad legal advice to people. In other words, telling them this is against the law. And if, you know, if I had a dollar for every time I had a police officer threaten a client with charging them with obstructing justice for something that isn't even an offense, you know, maybe I'd retire from the practice of law. (laughs) It happens all the time, and and judges are, are rightly disturbed by it. You know, in our society, we give such enormous power to police officers. They have common law powers, they have criminal code powers, but they don't have unlimited powers. And when they cross that boundary, because they can affect with their authority and their discretion our lives in significant ways, judges are rightly careful about when they cross that line. And and usually the remedy, unfortunately, this may be unfortunate on an individual case, the remedy is that those charges go away. Because, you know, the way I look at it is you have to have an incentive for police to follow the law. And if they know if I depart from the law, I won't get what I want, which is a conviction of this individual. Well, they tend to respect, you know, the parameters of their authority. And sometimes the public doesn't like it because it leads to somebody getting off, quote, on a technicality. But to me, that's not a technicality. That's our Constitution. Right. You know, there's no higher law than our Constitution. Another interesting question I think this, this all raises is, is the rights that an individual has to, to get an explanation from police, because there was a case a few years ago involving a, a former member of parliament, now Peter Goldring, who was charged with refusing to provide a breath sample. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in, in, in his view, he was simply trying to, to ask some questions as to what was happening and why. And, and the judge found that the questions he was asking did not suggest that he was trying to buy time. He had some legitimate questions and was in an obvious dilemma. But police can get impatient in those situations. And if they feel someone is stalling, that's an option they, they have. They can charge that person with refusing to provide a breath sample. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you know, the offense of refusing to provide a breath sample is a pretty interesting one because it requires, in order to obtain a conviction, uh, an intention not to provide a breath sample. So asking about your legal rights, you know, may not evidence that that intention. You know, I've I've certainly had cases like that. And, you know, the the way I look at it is the police might not be entitled or required, rather, to give you legal advice, but the law is pretty clear. If they do give you legal advice, they have to get it right. And I've had cases where, you know, uh, those charges were dismissed because the officer gave incorrect or inaccurate legal advice. And, and once again, you know, we, we're sort of trained in this society. We trust police, and, and I, you know, in my experience, the vast majority of police officers do their duties you know, with professionalism and diligence, but we trust them. So if they tell us something, we comply with it. So if, if, if they're wrong about their powers, you know, that's, that's, that's really problematic for us as a society. And if the result is that a criminal conviction uh, gets, gets lost in the way, I think that's a pretty small price to pay to live in a society where police respect the boundaries of their authority. And again, as you say, if we think those boundaries are insufficient, that falls to Parliament to, to fix that. But it doesn't justify it taking shortcuts. No. And, and you know, the, the impaired driving area is one that has sort of become complex over the years. It's been layered. You know, Parliament tries to fix a problem and they end up creating, you know, uh, uh, you know the law of unintended consequences. They create probably more problems than, than they solve. But, you know, you, you also have a case where it's a pretty ex- extraordinary case where somebody who hasn't been charged with any crime 
can be taken to the police station and forced to provide a bodily sample, right? We, we don't uh, force people to allow searches of their person usually. We don't force people to allow, allow searches of their homes without a warrant, right? There's no warrant in, in a breathalyzer case. So in order to ensure that we have that balance between civil liberties and, you know, we want to maintain safe roadways and stop impaired driving, we have to strike that balance. But that balance is meaningless if every case where there's a violation of someone's rights, we say, no, no, impaired driving convictions are more important. This is a technicality. This is minor. If, if Once we go down that, I see that as a really slippery slope in the sense that we go too far down that path, then the rights of the individuals just get lost. And we go to a society that has really given too much authority to, to police. It's a tough balance. But, you know, that's what our judges are, are, are generally pretty good at doing is protecting that balance. Yeah, that's an important point. Uh, Solomon Friedman, we'll leave it there. Thank you so much for your insight on this. Appreciate it. My pleasure. All right, that's Solomon Friedman, attorney based in Ottawa with Edelson Friedman, LLP. Also specializes uh, in firearms law as well. And has taken a lot of cases uh, defending the rights of gun owners. Uh, so he makes some uh, rather important points here. The Canadians do have rights. It's not just a case of an accused having rights. It's that Canadians, period, have rights. And so that does involve your interactions with police. If the state suspects that you've committed a crime, you still have some rights. And there's a procedure that they have to follow. And there are also legitimate questions you can ask. And if you're being misled into thinking that they want you to do something and you don't have a choice, that it would be illegal to not do that thing, if they're misleading you, then yes, they they should be held accountable for that. So that was the problem in this case involving a scale. Is that as the National Post describes it, the demand, which had no basis in law, violated both the woman's privacy and her charter right to be free from unreasonable search and seizure. Forcing somebody to be weighed may not be as intrusive as taking bodily fluids, the judge found, but it is serious enough that the woman's blood alcohol readings of twice the legal limit must be excluded, leaving the crown with no evidence and the woman free to go. So that's the importance of doing it by the book, that there are no and should be no shortcuts in the system. And unfortunately, that's what happens if an individual's rights have been violated. Evidence must be excluded. So what do you make of this? 403-974-8255. We're back with more right after this. All right, welcome back. 403-974-8255. So we've got uh, in this country, of course, the, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Which is pretty important. And uh, we have uh, a number of rights that are guaranteed uh, under the Charter. Now, as Section 1 of the Charter points out, that there, there can be reasonable limits on those rights. So if we take, for example, Section 9 of the Charter, everyone has the right not to be arbitrarily detained or imprisoned. You can argue that, that a check stop itself violates that. And so, again, it's one of those cases where we do allow for some, some reasonable infringements. And there's that whole Oaks test uh, when it comes to determining what's, what's reasonable. But those are important points that Solomon Friedman raises. Section 9 of the Charter, that everyone has the right not to be arbitrarily detained or imprisoned. Section 8, everyone has the right to be secure against unreasonable search or seizure. And there's a reason why these are spelled out in the Charter. Let's go to the phone. Some time for your calls here. Uh, Daryl is on the line. Daryl, good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. I got two quick questions. 
I thought it was kind of interesting how he said that they, they need a scientist to interpret the data of the height and the weight and the gender. Right? So I thought, uh, is that a gender on the birth certificate or is that the actual sex of the person? Because maybe you could argue that, too, because obviously gender doesn't exist anymore. So maybe you might be uh, drunk if you were a woman, but you're actually a man in your head. So then you're not drunk anymore. Is that how that works? Or uh, well, I don't know. I mean, the blood alcohol level is what it is, right? I mean, it's, it's 0 0.08. That much is pretty clear. And, yeah, well, you know, as other no, people have pointed out, if police need to know your weight, I mean, it's right there on your driver's license. Yeah, but he mentioned, uh, he mentioned gender, too. He said that if there was a specialist, or there was a specialist needed to interpret uh, some of the information, which included the, the weight and the height and the gender. He said that. So is it suddenly uh, gender becomes a very important thing again, and, and maybe we shouldn't be screwing around with it, is what I'm saying. Um, and well, also, what okay. happened to Roger? Uh, well, it's a long story. Daryl, but I appreciate the phone call. Uh, anyway, you can always text us, 403-974-8255. Um, email if you want, rob at uh, newstalk770.com. So, I mean, it sounds like Daryl's trying to make kind of a different point about gender and kind of work it into that uh, to this conversation. Uh, I don't necessarily know how relevant that is. I mean, if you're drunk, you're drunk. And it's not as though... One gender has more leeway than, than the other. But I suppose the point is that there are other factors that are going to determine, I guess, just how drunk you are. So getting back to the woman uh, who was asked to step on the scale. As the National Post describes it here, Kimberly McLaughlin, who declined to comment when reached by phone Monday, was spotted in a car on a dead-end road by a police officer in Ottawa back in January of 2012. Her plates did not match her vehicle, and as the officer followed her, she was speeding. When he stopped her, the officer noticed a strong smell of alcohol, and she failed a breath screening test on her sixth attempt. By the time she got to the station, she reeked of alcohol, her eyes were glossy and bloodshot, and her speech was slow and deliberate. There was a delay in getting her to a breath technician, and by the time one was available, more than two hours had passed since she last drove, which means by law, expert evidence would be needed to read back her alcohol level to the time she was driving. So that's where these other factors, I guess, became relevant. So that's why the breath technician demanded she get on the scale to provide data for that retrospective calculation. She initially refused, but was told she must, as the trial judge described it. She complied, but did not consent. Uh, the judge said, quote, forcing someone to provide evidence against themselves is, in my view, serious. If the police had demanded to know her weight by verbal response, the statement would be excluded under the common law as non-voluntary. Now, the appeal judge was also critical of police for not keeping up with the law on drunk driving and let its breath technician simply adopt his or her own practice. The absence of a properly identified policy which deals with the matter of obtaining or estimating the weight of a detainee represents a breach which cannot be qualified as inadvertent. I acknowledge it does not amount to bad faith. The breach here demonstrates an ignorance of the scope of the police authority in such circumstances, and such ignorance of the scope of the authority is still misconduct, from which the court should be concerned to disassociate itself. While it is not the most serious of breaches, I still find it to be at the more serious end of the spectrum. So, yeah, and maybe to, to the uh, average citizen, that seems like a pretty minor thing. They're trying to figure out uh, how drunk the woman was at the time she was behind the wheel. Get on the scale. Let's figure this out. Quit messing around. So that was the problem. They created for themselves. Because she said no. Now, maybe there were other ways of handling it. But they 
misled her in, in ordering her, telling her that she had no choice. And there's the other thing. In a situation like this, do people have the access to some legal advice? To talk to a lawyer about what their rights are in that situation, what they're obligated to do, what they're not obligated to do. I mean, there was a, a case recently in Edmonton where an individual was uh, accused of being a bear behind the wheel, crouched through a patio, and uh, a young boy was killed, who was given some bad legal advice when he called uh, legal aid, called a lawyer, was told not to provide a breath sample. And that created a, a whole other legal problem. So, but people, do people have an opportunity in those kinds of situations to at least get that legal advice? Because maybe people don't fully know what their rights are. Now we've got a problem here where, look, you can point to other evidence that police seem to have that maybe this person was impaired. So why jeopardize the case? So I think it becomes an issue where maybe police forces need to to examine their policies and what it is they're doing. Because we don't want these cases to fall apart because police screwed up. That should concern us all. I don't think the answer is to say, well, it wasn't that big a screw up. Let's overlook it. I think the answer is to say... Why did that happen? And can police please not screw up that way in the future? So at least these cases can can go to courts and we can try to determine guilt or not, because it does seem like a technicality, which is indeed unfortunate. Uh, And again, I think it's also fortunate that there wasn't more serious consequences in any of these cases, right? We're not talking about uh, uh, where there was collisions or crashes or anybody else uh, who was, was hurt or injured. But obviously, when we're talking about impaired driving, we're not messing around here because it can be deadly. All right, 403-974-8255 is our number. We'll open the phone lines here after 2.30. Got a few other stories I wanted to mention. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? Like we've covered some, some pretty big stories already here today, but a few other things to get to. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 12.30 on News Talk 770 Calgary.